Our thanks to Cindy and Anthony for reading our readings for today. Well, it's lovely to be back. No, honestly, it is. A huge thank you to everyone for your, your prayers, thoughts, phone calls, texts, emails, cards, letters, gifts. I'm grateful to, to you all. Grateful to, to uh, the leadership ministerial team, to Tony and Ollie and Gordon and Peter and Kath and Dan and Gerard and Mark and Kina since her return from sabbatical for doing more than holding the fort but uh, for extending the kingdom over these weeks of my operation. I've not been out of touch altogether. Uh, Alongside the letters and emails and phone calls, which I've been delighted to receive, I've kept in touch with the life of the church, uh, with tweets about the services and by members of the staff, uh, some Facebook pages, an entry about the church and its happenings, and particularly, I've sometimes kept an eye on you by watching live streams. Uh, which means that you can sit at home with your feet up and a pot of tea. This is not an excuse for not coming, by the way. <laughs> and if you can't get, you can hear the preacher and you can say, so I watched you deck, bedeck the, the Easter cross and I listened to the last jazz vespers, etc. And that's brilliant because if you, if you're like I was, a shut-in or you can't get here each week or you live somewhere else as long as you've got a Wi-Fi connection you can connect with us Uh, and uh, I became aware as I was away and I think I wrote this in the Westminster Word when the church decided out of all the possible ministries it could invest in when the church decided that it wanted and needed a digital outreach officer and then appointed one in Dan then we made a good decision Uh, and it's a ministry that you don't see until you're in a slightly different place. Uh, And that's what makes it important. Uh, One trainee pastor once asked their tutor at Theological College, when is a minister blessed? And the tutor thought for a moment and then said, when they have a congregation that never lets the minister feel like they're living in a fridge. Think about it. And at no point have I ever felt that I've lived in a fridge Uh, and I thank you. I'm not back to full speed yet as you can see. Uh, I've been told to return to work slowly so you'll see me sitting down when you should stand up uh, and occasionally for the next few weeks Uh, but I begin a phased return to work as they call it this week and hope by about three weeks to be recovered all the more. I return to hospital in about a month Uh, And then we will know by x-rays and tests just how the bones are continuing to fuse. So don't give up praying yet. I think that's what I'm saying. Now, it's a special pleasure to return on this particular day when we're receiving new members and transfers into our faith family here at Methodist Central Hall, Westminster. And I want to speak mainly to them. There are 12 of them all together. But I hope that you'll listen in avidly because nothing that I'm saying to them is debarred from you. And I want to talk really out of uh, that short passage that Cindy read for us from Galatians, Galatians chapter two. I have been crucified with Christ, says Paul, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Or if you want that text put even more pithily and briefly, not I, but Christ. If there's one emphatic characteristic of our society today, it is the message of self-centeredness and self-absorption. The me generation, as sociologists have described Generation Y. It's as if the whole world, our adverts, the products, the holidays we seek to go on, the attitudes you're meant to cultivate or think natural, the values you're meant to espouse without thinking, all actually heed the old Yorkshire creed, which if you don't know goes like this. Hear all, see all, say out. Eat all, sup all, pay out. And if ever that does out for note, all us do it for this end which for people uninitiated into God's own language <laughs> is translated this. Hear all, see all, say nothing. Eat all, drink all, pay nothing. And if ever you do anything for nothing, always do it for yourself. <laughs> My mother, a good Yorkshire woman, had no truck whatsoever with that kind of philosophy. When we were young, my brother and I used to sit at the table or we got to a certain day and we always knew that she was exasperated with our behavior because she'd look at us and she'd say, self first, self second, and if there's anything left, self again. I'm not having it. It's no way to be. And it's no way to be when someone chooses to become a Christian. When we declare our faith in Jesus Christ, we're declaring something fundamentally countercultural. That I, me, what I want is not the most important thing in my life. That living life primarily for myself won't do anymore. For disciples, it's not I but Christ. The center of life has changed. I've moved from the self-pleasing, self-absorbed direction of magnetic north to the I will seek to follow Jesus, true north. And I want to say something about that life this morning. Each small point could be a sermon in itself, but not today. But first, whenever we stand here, like 12 of us will do today, and make promises, we are confirming something. For many of us, at a time we don't remember, parents and godparents and a congregation of God's people said prayers one of them had the audacity to splash water all over us and asked the Holy Spirit to come into and lead our lives. And even as they christened us as a part of that baptism, christened gave us a Christian name. 
and pledged to lovers and raisers right, they were asking God that there would be a time when we ourselves would confirm all that they and the church were saying. That there'd come a time when each one of us would say, the name was said over me, now I take the name. I was said to belong to Christ, now I tell you, I belong to Christ. I was told I was set in the context of God's family, and now I voluntarily choose to belong to that family. Not I, but Christ. And today, we witness those, but we can do it every Sunday. In fact, we should do it every day as part of our devotions. Today, we confirm what was hoped for and prayed for by our natural and our church family, which is why part of what we're doing this morning is called, not just in the Methodist church, but churches around the world, confirmation. Hang on a minute, you say. That all sounds great, Martin, but I don't think in my case that's what's happened. My, my parents were great, but uh, they weren't devout Christians and they didn't come to church and they didn't send me. My godparents were lovely, but they were asked to be godparents because they were friends of my mum, not because they're uber Christians or anything. I, I never went to church for years, so I'm not sure I'm confirming anything. And sadly, we have to recognize the truth of that in some instances. But even if that's all true, it doesn't mean that there is no confirming going on today. Because these people, with or without that exposure to the church, will say because of a multiplicity of comings and goings and moving through their lives and conversations of witness and meeting a Christian or sporadic attendance to a church somewhere in the world. They will say, I haven't got that perfect story of the background. But I'm still able to say to you as somebody who has a tongue in my head and a brain in my head, I confirm all that. That story is my story. Not I, but Christ. But there's another part of confirmation that I want to draw to your mind. Even if you can't remember it, even if everyone else has forgotten what they promised, even if the church in which that ancient baptism took place is now shut, there was one there on that occasion who never forgets and always keeps their promises. And they've been watching and keeping and guarding and leading all our lives. I'm talking about God's Holy Spirit in this season of Pentecost. God's Holy Spirit in you. 
You have come to know, not because necessarily you've become super spiritual or because you possess every gift that is outlined in the New Testament, not because of that. But you've come to know deep inside, in sometimes ways too deep for words, sometimes when things just catch you off guard and you suddenly realize a truth about yourself you rarely acknowledge. God's Holy Spirit has been given to you so that in confirmation you give yourself anew and afresh to God's Holy Spirit. So you are confirming faith in Christ and God is confirming the strengthening and the help of God's Spirit. And although we fail a million times to live out our faith as we should, and we all do and we all will, we are picked up and dusted down and set right by the Holy Spirit who gives us strength to carry on. It's the resource that enables the Christian life. God says... That's why I sent my beloved son to earth in the fullness of time because his his was the greatest declaration of selflessness that the world has ever seen. I sent my beloved son, says God, so that you could open your heart to him and that he will then change your selfish life to one lived out for him. Not I, but Christ. It's Christ who lives in the Christian through the power of the Spirit. And it's that truth that makes everything else possible. One last thing. Saying not I, but Christ means giving Jesus the leading role in your life but it doesn't mean that there's no you at all you are not obliterated when you say not I but Christ you are renewed because the Holy Spirit is not some kind of movie poltergeist that takes you over against your will where you become a puppet against everything that you've ever known. That belongs to evil and corruption. God's Holy Spirit is the one who, when invited, comes and takes all the space inside that you give him and then says, you and me, together, with me taking the lead, we can do great things. So you're not giving yourself away to be nothing when you become a Christian, but to be something more than you could have ever been just by yourself. But it is what Jesus wants for me that's the most important. And you know, 
And this is the testimony to people who have somewhat reluctantly from time to time given themselves to Christ again and again and again. And I speak for myself. And if I don't speak for you, well, you're more holy than I am. But you find time after time after time that what God wants for me is better than what I thought I wanted for myself. Sometimes, saying not I but Christ means that we're led by God to do exactly what's in our hearts to do and it delights our hearts. And sometimes it means that we're led by God to do or be something that we didn't want to do or be and didn't feel able to do or be. But when you say yes, yes to God, yes to Jesus Christ, yes to the Holy Spirit, you find that the things you didn't know you wanted to do are the right things to do. The things that you didn't feel able to do, you are able to do. Because it's not I, but Christ. And there's new power and strength in that. For a long time, Christianity has been presented or allowed to be thought of as a death religion. What, it mean, what we mean by that is that it's mainly about teaching and doctrines that talk about when you die, will you go to heaven, etc., and it's true that Christianity has all sorts of teaching about preparation for death and the hope of eternal life. When all of us finally get to the pearly gates of heaven with all our checkered histories and successes and failures and glories and glitches, one of the crucial things will be whether the holy ones at the gates of heaven say, listen to this, say to us, oh, it's you, or say to us, oh, it's you in Christ. And we can say, yes, it's me, but not just I, I in Christ. But you've got a lot of living to do yet, especially these young things on the front. And Christianity is a living and alive religion. It's about life. If we'd have read on in John's Gospel, we'd have very quickly got to the verse that says, these things are written that you might have life, and life in all its fullness. Christianity is a faith to be lived now and in saying not I but Christ we don't down tools on life and wait for heaven least of all taking refuge in the church like some kind of spiritual bomb shelter while the world is tearing itself to bits because though it might sound strange the last thing becoming a church member means is that you start to live in the church what it means is that that's the spiritual family from which you live for God in your world. Rather, when we say yes to God, when we say yes, not, but, not I, but Christ, when we say yes and open our lives to the Holy Spirit, we become missionary citizens of the world. 
We become participating members of Christ's family and we become active partners with the Holy Spirit about the redemption of everything and bringing about God's will. That is the least boring calling that any human being can be called to. This gospel of Jesus has changed the world for good and it can most certainly change every one of us for good. Faith in Jesus has given hope in the most fraught circumstances and it can most certainly save you and save you to the uttermost. And living out that life is exciting. It's worth living and dying for. That's what we are sharing today in the commitment of new members and transferees. Let's live life faithfully and abundantly and in the power of the Spirit, even more than ever before, starting today. Amen.